God, we come before you this morning, Lord, because we want you to be king of our lives. Lord, we want you to be the one who is in control and not ourselves. Lord, we worship you and we give honor to you and we just glorify you for being who you are, for loving us so much that you are willing to redeem us, that you are willing to forgive us. That God, even though we make mistakes and we struggle and we do things that we shouldn't do and we really have problems in our lives, that you are willing to overlook those problems. You are willing to forgive us our mistakes and you're willing to love us even as we are. That Father, you're willing to love us even in our brokenness, even with our warts, even with um, just (laughs) the nature of who we are. Father, so we thank you for that. Lord, one of the things that we can do to improve relationship with you is to be honest about our brokenness. You know it. You see it. You see our selfishness. You see our mistakes. You see our sins. And Father, if we just are honest with you about those, we go to you and ask for forgiveness. That Lord, you have promised that you will forgive when we do that. And so we're just going to take a moment, each of us individually right now, to go to you and ask for forgiveness for anything that's in our lives that doesn't need to be there. Let's just take a moment and do that. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and help us to be the person that you want us to be. Again, we thank you that we are able to be that person because you were willing to sacrifice even your son on our behalf. So, Father, we thank you that you have a plan, that you have a purpose for our lives, that our lives are not meant to just be one of weariness and struggle, but instead that our lives can be more important than that, that we can play a huge role in what you're doing in our world. And we are very appreciative of that. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be here, that you would be here challenging us to live in the way that you desire us to live. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to continue our series, our mini-series on forgiveness. And uh, we're going to look at a couple of things. And um, because I knew that everyone is going to be really sleepy, and there's a good chance that I'll put half of you to sleep, uh, half more than maybe on average, um, that I thought I would do the message a little bit differently, um, and so that that may help us to at least take in some of it. Um, We're going to be talking this week about Fresh Choice. This is our series, mini-series, that we worked through this last week and then this week. And the Fresh Choice is about eating. No, it's about us having forgiveness and being renewed by our ability to forgive others. When I came to San Jose, people told me, I asked, where should I eat? People told me there's this great restaurant called Fresh Choice. And then I found out later they were lying to me because there's no meat there. So I mean, like what kind of restaurant, you know, there's no steak, there's no chicken, there's no, you know, I mean, pork ribs. I mean, there's none of that stuff. So why would you eat there, right? Of course, I'm mostly being serious. Uh, but, uh, you know, I thought about it. It's an interesting name. And so we were, I was thinking about how to do the forgiveness um, series this year and thinking about what we can do in our lives and how important forgiveness is in our lives. So we decided to talk about, decided to talk about why forgiveness is good for you, why forgiveness is necessary, why it is critical that as Christians, as people of God, that we practice forgiveness. Not only because God tells us to practice forgiveness, but because it is, in fact, good for us. Well, here's our strategy. And there's a funny thing about our strategy. Uh, But last week, I was supposed to do happiness and blessing. But really what I did was lima beans and Brussels sprouts. How many of you love lima beans and Brussels sprouts? Anybody? I don't really like any vegetables. I have to just be honest with you. I'm a total carnivore. I can't help it, okay? Um, if it's green, St. Patrick's Day, maybe, but otherwise, not really, not really my thing. I know when I'm older, some of you are laughing at me because, you know, I will have to do something about that. Um, but I don't have to do it today. So, so I asked my wife, I said, you know, I, I was talking to her about the message on Sunday, and she said, well, she said it was so not very, like, good about the good points. I was expecting there to be good points because you said it was going to be happiness and blessing. 
And I was like, well, forgiveness is really hard, and that's why I tend to focus on the hard parts of it. So we decided that last week was really lima beans and Brussels sprouts because it's hard to eat those things. I wouldn't know because I don't eat them at all, but I've been told that it's hard to eat those things because they're kind of a little bit yucky. Somebody's going to come up to me after service and say they love lima beans or Brussels sprouts. So just get it out of your system now. Tell me who it is. Anybody? All right, there you go. Okay. I'm crazy, I know, but that's fine. So last week we talked about how difficult it was to have forgiveness. Forgiveness is like eating lima beans and Brussels sprouts unless you're Helen because it is very, very difficult to have forgiveness. It's very, very difficult for us to forgive other people. It is very, very hard. Why do I say that? Because it's easy for us to forgive people by just sort of saying, eh, okay, I forgive you. But when we talk about biblical forgiveness, that actually becomes much more difficult. So this week, today, we're going to try to do not lima beans and Brussels sprouts. We're going to try to talk about the benefits of forgiveness. And I did my message differently so I could stay on topic about the benefits of forgiveness. So here we go. Let's talk about this and see what the Bible says. We're not going to look at a passage. We're going to skip around this morning. All right, so I'm going to warn you right now. The reason why I want to do that is I want to cover all the different discussions about forgiveness so that we can be sort of clear about what the Bible says about this. All right, let's just, to to sort of warm up our minds, let's look at the main passage for this morning, Luke 17.4. Luke 17.4 says, even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must be willing to forgive. And this is Jesus speaking, okay? And we probably, even if we've never read the Bible before, we probably heard that weird quote by Jesus where he says 70 times 7, you know, you have to forgive somebody. I'm not sure in the original language it really says that. He probably was just saying, when, when disciples came to him and said, how many times do I have to forgive people? Seven times? Which that was sort of like, it'd be like us saying 10 today, just a round number in their mind. Um, Jesus probably was just basically saying, no, seven times, 70 times is probably what he meant, or 77 times, not the weird way that we translate a lot of times in our English, in our English Bibles. But here Jesus was basically saying that, listen, if we are called, if we're in a situation where we need to forgive other people, then there's pretty much an unlimited amount of forgiveness that needs to come from us. That when people offend us, we must be willing to forgive them. We must be willing to forgive them over and over and over again. Now, I talked last week, and we won't talk about a whole lot here, but I talked last week about being a doormat. Just because that we are called to forgive people over and over and over again doesn't mean we intentionally put ourselves into situations where we are abused by other people, okay? But let's skip over that today. I mean, we talked about that last week. Let's just talk about the forgiveness side of it. Forgiveness comes when we are willing to forgive other people. Forgiveness comes when we are willing to put aside our anger and our desire for vengeance from them. The problem is, is that the, the, the two places, in my opinion, where forgiveness does not take place, let me say it, let me, I didn't say that well, let me say it another way. In my opinion, there are two places where forgiveness takes place probably the least in our world. Now, we can argue that there are more extreme positions than my two, like war, okay? But the two common places where forgiveness does not take place is where? Home, very good. Who said that? That's right. Home, where else? Home is number one. Church is number two. Those are the top two. You know why? Because we all keep a a record of the wrongs of our spouses and our kids, and we hold it against them. And we also, a lot of us, are tempted by the fact that we come to church, and we expect, we sort of had this idea that church is going to be perfect, that when I walk in the door of a church, it's going to be wonderful, everyone's going to love me, and then someone says to us, hey, do this, do that, hey, do this, do that, you know, hey, can you do this, hey, can you help out here, can you... And then we get offended, and then we get mad, and then we leave. And that's what happens. I have seen in my life, well, first of all, when I do marital counseling or family counseling, there's always a lack of forgiveness that comes into play. Always. And you know what? Most time when people leave church, it's, if they leave church, it's normally because they were offended and they cannot forgive. And this is sad commentary because those are the two places where we should be able to forgive more than any other. 
So the thing is, is that if you feel like, well, pastor, you're being mean, you're beating up on me again this morning. The reason why I'm doing this is because forgiveness is doggone difficult. And it is very easy for Christians, in my mind, to sort of glibly approach forgiveness and say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I've forgiven everybody, when in fact it's not true. If we examine our hearts, we will realize that in fact it is not true. And I'm going to demonstrate for an example what forgiveness is and why that is. All right, how do we forgive others? You're welcome to follow along in the handout that we're doing. We're talking about this issue of forgiveness. How do we forgive others? Forgiveness must include two things. Forgiveness must include two things. Number one, it must include a willful choice to no longer resent wrongs. Okay, this is a biblical definition of forgiveness, not the worldly definition of forgiveness. Number, number one, a willful choice to no longer resent wrongs. You know what that means? That means when you come to church or when you go to a family reunion and somebody says, wow, you're looking kind of fat right now. Did you put on some weight? Then you don't say... Well, first of all, it means you don't lash out at them. I mean, maybe you do, but then you've got to ask for forgiveness for that. But forgiveness means that you will no longer choose to resent or be angry with that person. Now, let me say this is what happens. As Christians, that person calls us fat. And so we say, you know what, I'm a Christian, I forgive that person, and we do it intellectually. We do it because we know Pastor Douglas will get mad at us or whatever reason that you have. But when we see that person and they come to us again, we feel what? We feel a little bit of emotion rise up in our chest, right? We feel a little bit of anger like, oh man, I don't want to talk to this person. You know what? If that happens, you haven't forgiven that person. If, if you approach someone who has offended you and you cannot have a normal emotional reaction to this person, it is a very 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 clear indicator that you have never forgiven that person there are going to be people who offend you and you're going to be still mad with them a little bit you're going to have emotional reaction to that 10 years later you know what that means it means you probably have never forgiven that person completely that's why forgiveness is so hard now let's talk about the part two of forgiveness part two of forgiveness is a restoration of previous relationship this is the thing that differentiates Christianity from every other, Christian view of forgiveness, from every other view of forgiveness that exists in our world. L let me give you an example. In, in the worldly view of forgiveness, the worldly view of forgiveness is to what? Forgive and to forget, which just basically means that we're going to let it go, it's not going to bother us anymore, and we're not going to worry about it anymore. Are we going to be friends with that person? No way. Uh-uh, not going to be friends with that person. In a biblical view of forgiveness, forgiveness comes because not only do we let go of the anger and desire for vengeance that's in our heart, but we actively try to have good relationship with that person again. That doesn't happen in families, and it doesn't happen in churches, because it's too easy for us to just stay focused on the vengeful part. Again, let me say it another way. Forgiveness is very, very difficult because in the biblical sense of forgiveness, it requires that we bring back a good relationship with the person who has offended us. It doesn't mean that if we are just acquaintances with a person who offends us, that we must be best friends with that person afterwards. It, but it does mean that if we're best friends with someone who forgives us, I'm sorry, with someone who offends us, and then we want to forgive them, then we will go back to being best friends with them again. That's what that means. Does everybody understand now why forgiveness is so hard? Because we intellectually forgive. We forgive just by saying, well, I forgive you, but we really don't mean it. When we see this in a home, we see it more than any other place. I think the home is the most likely for this to occur, where we will intellectually forgive our, our spouse we will intellectually forgive our family. We will intellectually forgive our kids, but we will not forgive them in our hearts. But it is critical that we forgive them completely and we enjoy renewed relationship with that person. This is why the Bible tells us that we're to forgive our enemies, right? Why are we to forgive our enemies? Because we're to forgive them. Well, we're going to talk about 
some of the reasons why, but when we forgive them, not only do they no longer have power over our lives, but we are actually able to have relationship with them. We're actually able to be friends with them, whatever friends means there. I'm not saying you have to necessarily be bosom buddies with everybody, but you can definitely be at least an acquaintance or at least a friend with that person. Now, I can see by your faces either you're asleep or you're not liking what I'm saying. And so it's okay. This is a normal reaction. It's normal for you to not like what I'm saying because nobody likes to really truly forgive. It's not in our nature. Our nature, according to the Bible, is sinful. Sinful nature means to do what? Sinful nature means for us to desire vengeance over forgiveness. It means for us to desire war over peace. That's the nature of our heart. It's easier for us to attack someone who attacks us than it is for us to simply forgive at that point. But if we love God and if we love people, as the Bible calls us to do, then we must train ourselves to forgive. We must do it. We must train ourselves to forgive or we will always be stuck and be unhappy. Now, I'm going to beat this horse. I'm going to, I beat this horse every year. I'm going to beat this horse for a minute, okay? Because I know percentage-wise about probably at least half of you will listen to this message and when you go home, you're going to flush it, okay? But I'm going to warn you today, don't do that because forgiveness is critical to us being true followers of Jesus. If you go home and flush this message, you will never experience the life that God desires for you. Never. Why? Because the Bible's clear that God won't forgive you if you can't forgive others. And that's a very dangerous statement. A very, very, very dangerous statement. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you cake, ice cream, and whatever else this morning I can to bribe you. Okay? I decided I would bribe you this morning. I'm going to bribe you, and I don't think bribing is wrong in this situation. I'm going to bribe you because I'm going to tell you about all the reasons why you should forgive. All right? The Bible gives at least four major reasons why you should forgive other people. And I'm going to talk about those just in the next 15 minutes or so. I'm just going to talk about each of these and why we should forgive other people. Uh, I'll give you a couple of verses as well. Um, but it, if, if, if even some of you are bribed by this and do it, that'd be awesome. Because it is, again, critical for our emotional health, our spiritual health, our relationship with God to be able to forgive other people. You cannot come into church and really worship God and really serve God if you're holding grudges against other people. All right, why should we? Four, four reasons. You got your hand out there. You can follow along. Four reasons why we should, be, why we should um, forgive other people. Four good reasons why we should. And this is benefits to you. This is ice cream. This is cake. Maybe you don't like, some of you like arugula for dessert. Fine. Whatever is your desire for dessert, that's your desire. This is dessert, okay? Number one, so that we will have better relationships. The Bible tells us that without being able to forgive others, we will not be able to have better relationships. Let me give some biblical examples here. The Bible says this, um, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Um, that's from Proverbs 19. And so the Bible's telling us here that we earn respect with people when we're able to forgive. When we, when we let things go, people respect us more. When we are not petty, people learn to respect us more. How many times at work have you encountered people who are petty? Well, let me just ask. How many times in your family have you encountered people who's petty? Does everybody know what I mean by petty? It means they get offended at every little thing, you know? You didn't put the fork on the left side of the plate instead of the right. I think that's right. I don't even know what side the fork goes on. Left, right? Fork's on the left, knife and spoon on the right. Is that correct? Lorraine's telling me yes. I think that's good. Okay, and you have, a, you have a party at your house and you put all three on the same side and someone comes to you and says, I can't believe that you didn't put the fork on the left side. Don't you know any manners? That's petty. Emily posts the side. That's petty. And, and so the thing is, who wants to be friends with somebody like that? Anybody? We don't. So if we want to have better relationships, we want to have more friends, we want our spouse to love us more, then we will do what? Then we will be willing to forgive so that other people will be more patient with us and be more loving towards us and be more respectful for us. You know, nothing says being able to be mature 
like being able to forgive someone when, they're, when, when they do something that hurts you, especially if it's a petty manner. How would you respond if you're there in the kitchen, someone comes in, and you see the two people there discussing, the host and then the, the commentator. And the commentator says, I can't believe you put the fork on the wrong side, blah, blah, blah. And the host says, yeah, well, you can stick it in your ear. Are you going to be, want to be friends with either one of them? No. Your brokenness may, because your brokenness may cheer one or the other. But if you're honest for a second, you don't want to be friends with the critic, and you don't want to be friends with the attacker or the retaliator. You don't want to be friends with somebody like that. Again, let me say this as a side note. If, if you are losing the battle with your brokenness, as many people in our world are, then you will be attracted to one or the other because your brokenness will want to, to, to be with their brokenness. But if you're just neutral for a second, you won't want to be friends with either. But if the person that attacks and says, I can't believe you put the fork there, and the other person says, well, you know, I'm sorry that, you, I'm sorry that you're upset about that. I didn't mean to offend you. I just simply was trying to do it for expediency this time, but I'll take it into consideration for next time. You're like, wow, that was really diplomatic. I, I, I really appreciate that person for di- being diplomatic. Again, unless we allow our brokenness to, to reign, in which case we'll be like, get her, you know, sort of, sort of feeling. So sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Jesus Christ has forgiven you. When we forgive, we talked about this last week, one reason why we should forgive is because it makes us more accessible to other people. We have better relationships with other people because we are tender-hearted. Now, some of you may say, well, pastor, I don't want to forgive my spouse because if I forgive my spouse, then I will be weak and vulnerable, right? Come on, I know this is, I know this is real, so you, you, can not look, you can look whatever you want, but I know this is true. We don't want to be vulnerable with our spouse and we don't want to be vulnerable with our friends, right? Because we're afraid that they're going to hurt us. But if everybody puts up walls, what kind of relationships will people have? Terrible ones. Which is why we have terrible relationships. Because a lot of marriages and a lot of churches look more like medieval fiefdoms where there are huge walls around different city-states and people attack each other. And we lob things across the walls at each other instead of tearing down the walls and forgiving. Now, let me say this. Some of you may say, Pastor, are you saying that my wife has walls and I have walls and I should pull down my walls even though she's going to attack me? Yes. That's what I'm saying. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to be fair? No. Is it going to take the chance that you're going to get hurt more? Yes, it is. But at some point, someone has to take the first step to forgive. Right? Otherwise, you just stay in your walls and no one forgives each other. And you have your catapults and trebuchets lodging you know, insults and hurt towards each other. And it doesn't work. Nobody wants to be... Look, let me say it like this. Okay, if you are unwilling to be vulnerable and forgive you have little or no hope of the other person wanting to do it either. Why? Because they don't want to do it either. And they're not going to do it. Somebody has to start it. Somebody has to start the process of being honest and vulnerable with people who they care about. Why should you forgive other people? So that you can have better relationships. I can promise you that if you don't tear down your walls, the other person never will unless they come to this church and they hear me nag them about it for a long time. Or an act of the Holy Spirit. I'm not putting those as being equal. Certainly the Holy Spirit can do it. But chances are slim that the other person will do it. Very slim without you doing it first. Yes, it is risky. Yes, it is difficult. But the end result will be better relationships in your life. The end result will be better marriage, better church, better family, better everything because you are willing to take the first step towards forgiveness. Second, oh, let me just say this. Who wants to be friends with someone who is hard-hearted, vengeful, and unforgiving? That's what I look for in a friend, right? When I moved to San Jose, I said, all right, uh, you know, I need to find someone who's hard-hearted, vengeful, and unforgiving to be my friend. Who wants to be my friend? Oh, there's lots of people in San Jose like that, right? 
Lots of people all around the world like that. So I'd, it'd be easy to find someone like that. That's what I said. That's what I look for. We all look for friends who are going to be what? Nice and caring. Friendly. That's what friendly means, right? But that doesn't happen if that person has walls around their lives. And it's also not going to happen if you have walls around your life. Hey, let me, let me give you a little secret here. If you are struggling with severe brokenness in your life, brokenness attracts brokenness. I'm sorry to say this, but it's true. If you have lots of walls and lots of anger in your life, you will attract angry people who have walls. You will. You know why? Because people who don't have anger and don't have walls don't want to be around you. And they won't be around you. So the more you are willing to be kind and soft-hearted and forgiving, the more likely you will attract forgiving people in your life. Can I argue with you with all kinds of donuts and sweets and bribery that that is a better way to live? But it has to start with you. You have to be willing to do it. Let me bribe you another way. So we will be worthy of our title. So we will be worthy of our title. The thing is, is that we claim to be Christians, right? We claim to be children of God. But it is really hard for us to be children of God when we are not even willing to forgive other people who make the same claim. We say that we're children of God, but yet at the same time, it is incredibly difficult for us to forgive our family and for us to forgive people in our church for us to be able to forgive people around us. But at the same time, how can we make this claim? How can we say that we're a child of God? How can we say we're a son of God? Listen, the son of God came to earth with one major purpose, which is what? In order to die so that we might be forgiven. Right, saved, right. But the consequence of that salvation is that we're forgiven. The forgiveness comes before the salvation because it's what makes us right with God. Okay, the, the salvation, what's another, what's a better, I talked about this in the ministry, what's a better definition for salvation? Salvation is such a religious word, the Bible didn't mean that as a religious word when it was written. Uh, the better word or way of saying saved in our language today is probably rescued or delivered. That's what the Bible talks about when it's the salvation. So God rescues us from our own brokenness, but the mechanism by which the rec- rescue happens is that because God has grace for us, that, and we have faith in that grace, that we are able to be forgiven, which allows us to be rescued, okay? So forgiveness is a huge part of this. And when we, are, when we are rescued, when we are rescued, God doesn't pull us out of the muck and mire that we are in and just put us back into a muck and mire. What does he do? He raises us up and he calls us children of God. He calls us sons and daughters of God. That's the title that we have. We have the inheritance from God. What are we going to do when we get to heaven? Float around like naked little babies with angels' wings and harps? No, that's not it. What are we going to do in heaven? The Bible says that we will sit down with God at his banqueting table, that we will enjoy good relationship with him, that we will dwell with him in his place where he himself lives. And so the title that we have, the inheritance that we have, is the fact that we are followers of Christ, that we are sons and daughters of God. The Bible says this in Matthew 5, but I, and this is Jesus speaking, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. That's what we need to do. If we want to be real children of our Father in heaven, we will be willing to forgive other people. We'll be able to be willing to let those hurts, those, those, those animosities, the vengeance that we desire to pass out of our lives. And we will be willing to have good relationship with other people. And so the thing is, is that when we talk about this issue, when we talk about the fact that forgiveness is absolutely critical for us in life, it is critical for us because we are calling ourselves Christians. We're calling ourselves children of God. We must do what God calls us to do. Listen, when a little boy is born into a family, I'm not sure about girls. It's, I don't know if it's the same thing because I'm a, I'm a guy, so I have to speak from the guy perspective. But when a little boy is born, it's normal for him to want to do what? Exactly what his father does, right? He wants to be like daddy. He wants to do what daddy does. As Christians, we should reflect our father in heaven. We should be like daddy. We should not be hateful. We should not be vengeful. We should be willing to love. 
we should be willing to forgive. Hey, did anybody see this picture this weekend? Who knows who this is? I usually pick on Tom Cruise, but I don't have to use Tom Cruise this Sunday. Who is this? Anybody know who this is? No makeup. Jamie Lee Curtis. That's right. Very good. Now, uh, the Daily Mail caught her in L.A. and, you know, paparazzi and stuff. They took photos. I would hate to be in that conversation, right? Would you guys want to be on the receiving end of that? No. I mean, they had like this, the, the Daily Mail is a, a London paper. They had tons of photos of her like just totally ripping this, whoever this woman was into shreds and said that she was crying and just, just the tears were streaming down her face. And this was in a public place in a restaurant in, uh, in L.A. Now, I don't have anything against Jamie Lee Curtis, although it doesn't, I, I don't want to be her friend. How about you? I don't want to be her friend. You know what happens, though? I put this picture up here for a reason. Um, you know why? Because as, as Christians, you know, we act as if, like, we are children of God. And in the movie, she acts like, I guess, a nice person. But we see that there's a difference between the actor, the actress, and real life. But for a lot of people in our world, they see a difference in our lives, too. Because they see us as claiming that we are Christians, claiming that we are followers of God, and yet we are unable to forgive other people. And all we're doing is basically what? Acting. That's what it is. Listen, you can fool... I have to say this. I've been a pastor now for like, I don't know, 15, 17 years, something like that. And I have to be honest with you. People say you can fool, what's the expression, you can fool some of the people some of the time? I don't know, you can, fool, you can fool a lot of people a lot of the time. But I'm pretty much at the point now, I've been a pastor long enough, that I know when people, when, especially when they're doing counsel stuff, when they're willing to forgive. It's obvious when they're forgiven and when they're not forgiving. Why? Because not only is there not emotional reaction, but they go back to regular relationship. And I know that churches are full of people who claim to be Christians, but they're just play-acting. They're just play-acting because they won't forgive other people. Uh, you know, I have to say, let me just tell you one behavior I love. Can I just be honest for a second? I may not do this in second service. I'm just going to be honest here, okay? Because you guys are first service. You're the few, the proud. You guys are, are I know you're, you're there, okay? So let me tell you something. You know one of the things I love the most? I love when somebody gets offended. And this happened every church I've ever pastored. I love when people get offended at something that they feel like the church did or I did or one of the other pastors did. They get offended, they get mad, then they leave, right? Okay, so right there, unbiblical, ungodly. You can say whatever you want to. You can, you, they, can, they can tell me how justified they are. It's ungodly. That's not what the Bible calls us to do. But then, a month later, they write me a letter with Bible verses explaining how ungodly I am or the church is or one of the other pastors I work with is. You know what that is? That's just play acting. That's all it is. You know what that letter does? That letter rationalizes in their mind that they don't have to forgive. That's all that is. That is their proof to themselves that they don't, they're not required to forgive and they're not required to love. I'll tell you what right now, friends, don't ever do that. Because don't ever do that your family, don't ever do that anyone, because you know what? That's, that's you telling God that you don't need to be forgiven. And I don't think God's going to take a very good opinion of that at all. And we do that all the time to each other. We rationalize and justify away, and we act as if we're children of God. We claim the title, but we don't live the life. The Bible says that we are not, that God will not forgive us if we don't forgive others. That's in the Bible, several places. That God will not forgive us if we don't forgive others. Now, again, I'll mention this because I mentioned last week. Does, is God's forgiveness universal for everyone who calls upon his name? Yes. But the implication of that is that we will turn around and forgive other people. And when you don't do that, it's a good sign that you don't really have relationship with God. Why? Because you're not acting like the Father. You could claim all day, you could claim all day that you're a follower of Jesus. But if you don't walk like him, talk like him, if you don't act like a duck, quack like a duck, look like a duck, you don't look like Jesus, act like Jesus, talk like Jesus, quack like Jesus, you're probably not a follower of Jesus. And forgiveness is one of the ways that's very, very obvious, to me at least, when somebody's really a follower and somebody's just play acting. Don't play act. This, Play acting, lukewarm, right? We talked about lukewarm. Don't let me get on that subject again, right? 
We don't want to be lukewarm. And we don't want to be like Jamie Lee Curtis either. Right? We don't want to be like that. So we will receive rewards from God. Okay, yes, this is in the Bible too. Here, all right, what's your favorite, what's your favorite dessert? David, what's your favorite dessert? Come on. Come on. Raju, what's your favorite dessert? What's your favorite dessert? What is it? A pudding. Okay, good. This is pudding right here. Okay, this is the pudding right here. Although there's one more beyond this that I think is most important. And since I organized this, I got to pick my pudding, okay? But uh, this is pudding. We'll receive rewards from God. Does the Bible say that if we forgive people that God will reward us for it? Yes, that's good news, right? That's really exciting. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs uh, 25. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat or pudding, as, it, as the case may be. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on their heads, and the Lord will do what? will reward you. Isn't that cool? That God is going to reward you. Why is God going to reward you? Well, let me ask you a question. When, when Wyatt gets up in the morning, he has a choice to be a good son or a bad son. Bad son is screaming, crying, pushing his sister down, running around like a madman, beating his head against the wall, doing stuff like that. We have those kind of days, right? But being a good son is what? Being a good son is being helpful, being courteous, being loving. When he's a good son, what do we do? We reward him with pudding, right? We reward him because he's being good. We want to reward him because he's being good. We don't like go overboard, but we give him a reward that's based upon whatever he does is good to reinforce the fact that good things are good for him to do. God is just basically doing the same thing here. He's saying, listen, when you act the way you're supposed to act, when you act as if you're a child of God, then because I love you, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to make it worth your while. Some of you who are cynical may ask me, so pastor, should I just fake forgiveness so that I can get my pudding in the end? Well, no, but I would say that uh, it better to get the pudding than not get the pudding so however you have to forgive people just do it okay however you have to do it however you have to twist your arm to however you have to convince yourself to forgive people so that you can be faithful to god so that god can reward you in my mind just do it paul 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 when he writes in the new Testament about a lot of issues not this one but some issues, there is definitely an, a sense of expediency where he talks about the fact that, look, people are broken. They're going to run to the finish line in all kinds of crazy ways. Just run to the finish line, you know? Just, just make it happen however you, however you need to do it. Just make it happen. But God will reward us when we are willing to forgive people. Is it good for when someone offends you to bite your tongue, forgive them, honestly forgive them, so that God will reward you? Yeah, I mean, if that's what it takes. If that's what it takes, then do it. I think everyone here would like to be rewarded by God. I think everyone here would like to have pudding or Twinkies or Ho-Ho's or chocolate cheesecake or whatever is your favorite dessert. We'd all like to have that. Probably more than lima beans and uh, Brussels sprouts, right? And, of course, the metaphor breaks down there because God's reward for us is good. There's no, you know... Uh, what is the thing my wife doesn't want me to eat? The, there's the saturated fats, but then there's the high fructose corn syrup. and I don't know. There's a bunch of things I'm not supposed to eat, right? But this is all good. When we are willing to forgive other people, God will reward us because we are being faithful to what he calls us to do. That, my friends, should motivate us to be willing to forgive other people. The Bible also says in Matthew 5, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And so when we talk about this issue of blessing, let me beat my dead horse again, right? But when you watch the people on TV, the television evangelists, you would think that God blesses people who, 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 who give money. God blesses people who buy their books. God bless... No, baloney. Okay? You know what the Bible is, if nothing else... It's 500 pages, 1,000 pages. I don't even know how long it is. But, but it's simple because it comes down to doing what? Loving God and loving people. That's it. There's no more to it than that. If you can do those two things, you are good. I mean, you're good. You, you're just, you're good. If you can do those two things. 
But we want to do what? We don't want to love God. We don't want to love people because we want to still be vengeful and hateful and have our own battlements and our own positions and our own city-state that we will keep separate from someone else's city-state and that when they attack us, we're going to attack them back. We do it. We set up fiefdoms in our life even though the Bible tells us that that is not the way that we will be blessed. And we act as if we will. Because we come to church, right? And during the, you know, when I have the time for forgiveness, right? I'm up here and I'm like, okay, everyone, um, you know, let's, uh, I don't know what I say. But I say something like, you know, um, we're going to have a time, a moment of forgiveness. And uh, just take a moment, go to God, ask for forgiveness for anything you've done. And I know it's tempting. For most of us, we just go, Right? We fall asleep and our heads nod because there's a moment of pause there. And you know you can get like at least 30 seconds or a minute in there asleep. And that's good, right? Especially on a morning like this. But endemic in the problem is the fact that we cannot forgive other people. We will never have a healthy family without forgiveness. We will never have a healthy church without forgiveness. And we will never, ever, ever receive God's blessings any, to any degree of worthwhileness if we cannot forgive other people. It is a basic, basic thing. You know, I love when Christians ask me, Pastor, what are the advanced things I can do? Have I told you this story yet? I love this story. Um, I won't tell you the whole story, but I'll just allude to it. Um, Christian, as, throughout my pa- years as pastor, Christians always come to me, and they'll be like, some Christians do. They'll be like, Pastor, I'm, I'm ready for the advanced stuff. Ready for the advanced stuff. They don't say, okay, I'll just be honest with you. They don't say it like that, but that's not fair. They come to me and they'll say, Pastor, when you preach on Sunday morning, I find it to be very weak and limited and not much information there. And you need to have more Bible content. I'll say, okay. Okay. And I'll say, can you give me some examples? They'll say, yeah, we need more advanced stuff. I'm like, give me some examples, and they, they don't usually really give me examples. Or they'll say, well... You know, you need to cite this verse more frequently, and it comes down to that. It, it, I've never had anyone actually give me a solid example of that. A friend of mine as a pastor said that that's, basically that's one of the Christians use about 10 excuses for not going to church, and that's in that group of excuses, and I think he's probably right. And, 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 but when I look at that person who's always demanding the advanced stuff and always mad, by the way, that, that they're not getting fed in the way that they think they're supposed to be get fed, at the end of the day, I'll ask him, well, let me just say, you know, are you loving God and are you loving neighbors completely? Because if you are, I'll do whatever you ask to make it deeper or more meaningful for you or do something for you. And they always get mad. Say, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with anything. Oh, yeah, it does. Oh, oh yeah, it does. Because all the Bible knowledge in the world won't change it if you don't love people and you're not willing to forgive people. Let me say that again. You can know all the cities that Paul went on his missionary journeys as a factoid of Bible knowledge that's not really that important. You can know all those cities, but if you don't love anybody else, it don't mean nothing. And by the way, nothing is not the word I want to use there, but we're going to keep it PG because it's a lot stronger than that. It don't mean nothing. If we don't have love, we don't have nothing. If we don't have forgiveness, we don't have love. We don't have nothing. You cannot love someone you cannot forgive. It is not possible. Because loving requires real relationship with that person. God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Finally, this is my pudding. I put this one forth because I think this is more important than getting rewards. Uh, By the way, Raju, mine's chocolate cheesecake. Or double chocolate cheesecake. Or triple chocolate cheesecake as the case may be. Okay? So this is chocolate cheesecake right here. So we will be free. I think that the desire for freedom is incredibly important. I think that when uh, America went through the revolution, you have a good historical example of how freedom can inspire people. Martin Luther King, freedom inspires people. Um, Throughout the world, South Africa, there's so many different places where freedom inspires people. And the reason why it does, I believe, is because the Bible and what God has done for us is uh, the first act of freedom. People enslaved themselves, by the way, to sin. That's what they did. When Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit, they rebelled against God, they enslaved themselves to sin, 
And since that time, people have always been enslaved. We've been enslaved to our own selfishness, our own hate, our own sin, our own struggles. But when we talk about freedom, freedom is a powerful thing because it is a biblical thing. It is a biblical thing because God said, I have come to set you free from your own sinfulness. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is God forgiving us so that we are free from our sins. Not that we don't, haven't done them, not that we weren't trapped by them at one point in time, but that we are forgiven and that we are free. I don't know about you, but I want to be free. How about you? I know that if you're here today, you want to be free as well. We all want to be free. We want to be free from our mistakes. We want to be free from hate. We want to be free from animosity. We want to be free to be ourselves. Well, guess what? That does not happen in our world. I'm sorry. But without God and without the gospel of Jesus Christ and without the Holy Spirit transforming lives, there is no freedom. None. No freedom. I'm sorry, but there isn't any. That's the hard truth of life. But God is the only one who has the power to set us free. And that when we are willing to forgive other people, guess what we're doing? We're acting like God and we're setting other people free. We say that when we don't forgive people that we hold things against them. And you know what we're doing? We enslave them. Ladies, when you have a picture book of all the things your husband has done wrong, I'm picking on ladies. I usually pick on the guys. I'm going to pick on ladies here. When you have a picture book of all the things your husband done wrong, right? Maybe, you know, in April 7th, 1954, your husband left the TV on and it woke up the kids, right? And you still remember that, right? You know what? You have enslaved your husband to this picture book. You have. Every time you hold a grudge against someone else, you are enslaving them, you are holding them down, and you are not letting them be free. The reason why God calls us to forgive other people is so that we can free them to be the person that God created them to be. And we will never be able to do that if we cannot free them from our, and free them from our lack of forgiveness, from our grudge, and forgive them. Listen, when we talk about this issue, how many people want to be enslaved? No one. How many people want to be free? Everyone. The Bible tells us what? What's the golden rule? That we would do unto others as others have us do unto you. Listen, this is what forgiveness is all about. People say the golden rule, they don't even know what it means because they, they take it out of the Bible, that one verse. They don't, look, we want people to forgive us so that we will be free. That's what the golden rule is talking about because when we forgive other people, we free them to be the person that God created us to be and also they can turn around and free us as well. It's hard to hold a grudge against someone who doesn't... It's hard to hold a grudge against someone who doesn't hold a grudge against you, right? How can you hate someone who doesn't hate you? It's hard. Oh, there are people who can do it because there are people who are broken enough to do it. But it's really hard for that to be... for that to happen. You can free others and you have the power to do it. If you love others, if you love God, you will love others. If you love others, you will free them and you will let them go. But you know what? Why don't people do it? Because of their hate, because of their anger, and because of their desire to control other people. And that goes all the way back to the garden. People chose to enslave themselves rather than to be free, and people like to keep each other enslaved. And the challenge for us as Christians is to break that cycle and not do that anymore. The Bible says this, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sin. Because the Bible is calling us to break the cycle of slavery, to break the cycle of hate, to break the cycle of lack of forgiveness, and to just be willing to forgive other people. God is willing to forgive you of everything that you've ever done. But His expectation as children of God is to be willing to forgive everyone who's ever done anything to you. Everyone. And now, in some situations, it's going to be harder than others. 
I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying that if you want the life that God desires for you, you must be willing to forgive. You must be willing to free other people. And you know what? It will free you. Because hate and vengeance and animosity are enslaving chains and nothing more. That's all they are. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. And Lord, it is terribly difficult for us to forgive. I mean terribly difficult. But you have called us to forgive. And God, I'm just going to just take a moment right now and just ask. Just take a moment. And I'm just going to give everybody an opportunity to hear this morning. Maybe there's somebody they need to forgive. They don't need to lift up any hands or, you know, do anything like that. But I'm just going to take a moment. And if there's anybody you need to forgive here at BBC this morning, just go to God and start there and ask for forgiveness. Father, we're just going to continue this desire for forgiveness. And um, I just pray that you would help everyone in here who is honestly desiring to be free and desiring to forgive others, to give them the strength to forgive. Lord, I know that forgiveness in some cases will require a lot of pain and a lot of hurt on the person to forgive because so much pain and hurt was done to them. But Father, I know that you're powerful enough to erase that pain and that hurt. Lord, and I know that you love each of us enough that you're willing to do it. Um, and so, Father, I just pray for your help um, in helping us to be able to forgive other people. You know it's not going to be easy for us since we're so used to being enslaved. We're so used to not being children of you. But, Father, I pray for your help this morning for all of us. Lord, I pray this is the beginning, not the end, that we would practice forgiveness every day of our life. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.